Hi, welcome to Come Back, the show from Vietnam. I am always your host, Connor, and I delve into a wide variety of topics, including expat life, entrepreneurship abroad, personal well-being, and much, much more. If you enjoy, you can rate on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Apple for written reviews, Spotify for just the stars. That would be enormously appreciated, and I will leave the reviews in the show notes. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. As you probably know, I've been living in Saigon, Vietnam since July 2019. And one of the reasons why I've lived here so long is that I found a selection of places that give me a home away from home feeling. One of these places is Paperbacks Saigon, a bookstore with two lovely locations in District 3 and also online. They have genres from fiction to nonfiction, English books, graphic novels and more. And they also do custom orders. So if there's a book that you can't get your hands on, they can help you out with that. Where you can find out more details are at paperbacks.saigon on Instagram and www.paperbacks.vn. I will include the links in the show notes and I highly recommend you check them out for all of your reading needs. Thank you and on with the rest of the show. Hey, welcome back to Comeback. As usual, I'm your host, Connor, and I'm delighted today to welcome my guest, Annie Pham, initially from Vietnam and Australia. And we're going to talk about music, expat live, Vietnam, and see where we go. How are you, Annie? Hello, hello. Yes, Melbourne born and bred. And yeah, I'm back. I'm back in Vietnam. Yeah, when you say back, what's the Vietnamese roots here? Are your parents Vietnamese? Yeah, both of my parents are Vietnamese. So I'm happy to be back. They're a little confused as to why I'm back, but I love it here. When you say back, did you come here as a child? No. (laughs) When was the first time you came here? I did come here when I was eight years old, but not since then. Right, so it doesn't really count in terms of like your memories or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wasn't like born here. I was born in Australia. So it's sort of really funny. I have a group of Viet Q friends. Shout out Viet Q Anon. We're not, we're not actually QAnon members, it's just a pun that we thought was funny. But yeah, um, we sort of feel this sense of disconnect, but also like when you are here, it's so, oh, I, d- I don't want to sound pretentious, but it's so like akin to what you are and who you are as a person because my parents are Vietnamese, obviously. So like when I was first living here, I was like, oh my gosh, this is where I need to be and these are my people and yeah. Yeah. Even though they all think I'm Korean or Japanese. Did you have so. any kind of... <laughs> I've heard that from VQs as yeah. well. It's like, Vietnamese, I'm one of you. Yeah. But with that, did you have any influence growing up, for example? Were your parents putting their Vietnamese influence on you in Melbourne? Were you exposed to Vietnamese culture? Yeah, well, in Melbourne, there's a really large Vietnamese community, which is awesome. But uh, my parents are super weird in that they are very Vietnamese, but they have non-Vietnamese tendencies like the way that we were raised, I wasn't forced to do like all of the Asian subjects at school. They didn't force me to like excel uh, academic academically, but I was more creative. So I did film, I that was my uni degree. 
um, and yeah, I loved drama and music and all of that. And you know, they they didn't really mind as long as I was happy. Right, I good. see. And with that, like, where do you think this creative inspiration comes from? Was it from your background, or were you just exposed to it at a young age? Where's your creative side coming from? Mm, so I picked up. I think we bought a camera for my younger brother's primary school graduation, and from that we just had we just would mucking around with the video camera which was a lot of fun and then I started making videos for my friends birthdays and I remember getting a big response from it like they really appreciated it and then going into high school I was like the video person anytime someone had a project on they'd ask me to help or anytime we had a school project it would always be in video form um, and yeah, and then um, somehow got accepted into like quite a prestigious uh, film school in university. Uh, but yeah, it all stemmed from sort of um, making homemade movies and just bringing joy to other people. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds cheesy. But also, um, I also loved watching movies when I was growing up huge passion for watching movies and I still do I, now I just watch trash films but right. <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch a lot of art films when I was a teenager yeah. were there yeah. any that really stuck with you over time from perhaps your early years oh my god uh, this is embarrassing Amelie I saw have you seen that movie uh, I have yeah a while ago a while ago <laughs> yeah I saw that when I was like 14 or 15 and I was like oh my god you know it's like one of those movies that yeah. you see when you're younger that you're like it's great and then you watch it back and you're like this is problematic yeah so <laughs> I um yeah I I loved that film when I was younger you know what if I watched it back now I think I'd still love it yeah yeah how about you uh, I don't know I feel, <laughs> I feel like no I feel like I would have gone past that stage but yeah yeah I don't know why do you think you'd love it now still because uh, it's just that sense of childlike wonder that Emily has, which I think uh, something is something I really related to because I've always been like the kooky, sort of weird girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I always loved doing small things for other people. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you think it, you think it's, it resonates? <laughs> yeah, right, okay. totally. And like when you were making homemade movies, for example, or doing things for other people, what would influence you? Was it literally anything, or did you go down any specific angles? Oh yeah, like literally. I'm I'm a fan of all movies. Trust. Like I w love Die Hard, classic Christmas film, um, and I would make ridiculous like genre movies from horror to you know action movies uh, I was like that I was inspired by like I think I watched Hot Fuzz when I was a teenager at the cinema just out of nowhere and me and my friend just got obsessed with it and I was yeah so inspired by Edgar Wright and his pacing and like um, how he sort of uses sound in his films um yeah and i yeah just me in high school was basically copying edgar wright <laughs> right just constantly <laughs> yeah did you ever have to like bring friends in because i know that you know perhaps shooting lots of film i've never really studied film so this is just perhaps mm -hmm. naive but correct me if i'm wrong but you would also have to get other people in right to kind of oh. mix it up oh yeah like in high school when we were doing amateur stuff it was just all silly and we would be in wigs or like you know it would be super silly but when we when I was in uni then it was like um you could get your friends in your 
film class to act, but we also held auditions and that sort of thing. And you would network with actors there because um, VCA, that's the uni I went to, they also had like a actor's school and a music school. So it was a really good place to collab with other creatives. Yeah, and when I'm thinking about this, it's just something that's been on my mind recently from podcasts I've listened to. When you have, say, a hobby or a passion, but then you go further with it like an education. So for example, you do it for fun because you love it, but then you study it at uni. Did that, I guess, spoil it for you in terms of the fun aspect? Did you kind of lose the passion or was it still there once you'd studied it, if you know what I mean? Mm, I mean, yeah, that is a really good question because you sort of get jaded in film school because a lot of people generally say how, you know, uh, a lot of the people in our film class didn't make it and people aren't in the industry and it's just gonna happen like because only 15 people were 16 people were accepted into our course and it's a writer direction course right. and you're sort of told from the get-go like oh you know maybe like two or three of you will be directors or you know be successful in the industry, um, uh, yeah, which is sort of heartbreaking. I can imagine, um, is this first lecture type where no, no. only some of you will? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's uh, more of like uh, just things people say in passing, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, and also sometimes when you have a lecture with a successful director they'll say like yeah some people make it some people don't and you're like oh well, okay but also yeah coming back to like being um as inspired doing it as a like an industry thing uh, rather than doing it for as a hobby um it definitely detracted sometimes from the fun because you're it's just so stressful on mm. set filmmaking is the most stressful thing um that's why i want to try this podcasting yes. thing because it's not as collaborative and uh because of that I'm only I'm only like depending on myself uh yeah so <laughs> I guess that's sort of bad because I haven't done it yet but yeah <laughs> you everyone starts somewhere I actually yeah. I'll give you a disclaimer you might already be aware I procrastinate for two years before I began Real? Uh, procrastinated, where I knew I should have done. I should have done the moment I arrived in Vietnam, 30th of July 2019. I should have done it there and then. But I procrastinated like you do with things. I went, oh, let's check out Vietnam first. And it's only until January 2021. So let's fast forward where I finally did it. I think that's why I did so many, because I had it all stored up, and then it just <laughs> all came out like a reservoir. It was wild. But uh, when I'm thinking of, say, your film school and what you had to do with, in terms of relations to your studies, uh, I feel like filmmaking, people don't really take into account the actual stress. For example, like shooting two minutes of film isn't just two minutes, oh. it would take, how long do you think it would take to t say, for example, shoot a five minute film? A how five minute film, yeah. that would be like a day. Oh, yeah, Jesus. that would be a whole day. And that would be sometimes, sometimes more than one day for these like 30 second adverts. It's crazy insane how much, <laughs> but yeah, like, um, my friend just shot a six-minute film and it was a 16-hour day for her. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. I'm making sure everyone's in the same costumes, mm -hmm. in the same place. 
Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's a it's a huge undertaking and it's a lot of people to organize and it also depends on the scope of your project. Yeah, so of maybe course. if yeah. you if you decide to shoot in multiple locations and with uh, a lot of scenery and props then yeah. it's even more yeah. <laughs> what kind of skills or traits do you need to be doing this kind of thing, do you think? You need to be a really good people person. Are you a good First people person? Do I say? don't know, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finding out during this interview. <laughs> am I am I rude and standoffish? <laughs> Not currently. Not okay, currently. thank you. Um, fishing for a compliment there. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you have to be quite a good people person. And I think I am. Like, uh, also, we're both teachers, right? We are. Yeah, you yeah. have to be a really good people person to be a teacher because you're mm. you're working with the littlest of people and Precisely. they are so attuned to anything that you do like yeah. they will know if you're ticked off they will know if they they you're angry or you did something like they did something to anger you like they sense these minute details so yeah yeah. yeah, you have to like manage your energy, don't you? Oh, After a while, they'll notice. Oh, teacher Connor's annoyed today. Yeah. I need to like calm it, or he's in a good mood. I'm like, yeah, I really I forget that they can pick up on things subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And when I realise this, I have to almost do like a, sh a state shifting exercise where I just snap myself into teacher mode. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're two very different characters. Which it brings me on to my next question, mm -hmm. which is as a people person and working with people in a creative project like filmmaking. Are you more, and I ask this to most guests anyway, more introverted or extroverted, would you say? Ah, well, I don't believe in that question. No. Um, <laughs> well, I Debunked. think, yeah, exactly. I think everyone's like a degree of both, really. No one's ever mm. like, I'm 100% introverted. I don't like people at all. It's like, Jesus, no, you're a person. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd never get by. Yeah. And we're hardwired to want connection from other people. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And my absolute biggest fear is, you know, I'm legend. Yes. Like that, but no zombies, like nothing, not even a dog. Like I'm legend is just like, that's my nightmare. Being alone on a planet with no one, absolutely no one around. I mean, there are some days where I'm like, oh, yeah, I could have an I Am Legend day where I just pretend I'm the only person. But at the same time, um, I think it's very human to crave human affection and, yeah. like, um, communication. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like I do agree with you. Not everybody is 100% on either side because it's just impossible. But I feel like people will gravitate more towards one spectrum. For example, introverts will recharge and get their energy from themselves, extroverts from people. I'd say, like, more often than not, that's probably where we kind of draw the line. Mm. When when I think of, say, a director or a filmmaker, I think of someone who's probably more introverted. And the mm. reason I do this is because they've obviously got a lot of imagination, a lot of creativity, and will probably spend a lot of time internally getting that out there and putting it onto a page or something to put it as a masterpiece. So this is why I'm kind of asking you the question of where do you mm. fit? Because I feel like it can be probably tricky in that regard to be both introverted and creative but also working with people that must yeah. be tricky well i i think i'm because i'm a bit of both you know and for me when you say like recharging by being alone and then recharging with other people that that's the same thing that happens to me like 
every now and then I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to sit in a hole and just like be in this hole by myself because I've had too much stimulation from other people. And then I have moments where I'm like, oh, okay, I, I need to see people again and talk to people and get their opinions and things and just connect with my friends. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, any good director is a combination, you know, I, I think my favorite directors are very sociable people and they have to understand a lot about people uh, in order to make stories about them because yeah. filmmaking can be really intimate um, and you need to like really be close to your actors but not only that your crew like your cinematographer yeah absolutely I'm trying to think imagine I'm just this is from somebody who doesn't actually has never gone into the film industry so I'm trying to empathize I mean it must take months and months of like really intense work to produce like one of the big features that we see in the oh. cinemas. Yeah. Oh yeah, years. No, years. 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 <sighs> like <laughs> writing a writing a feature film script is probably one to three years. Some of them get churned out like super quick. Yeah. Um, but then after that pre-production and then post and then production and then post-production like the actual shooting of it yeah. can range from a month to like six months but like there's all the stuff that you do before and after yeah, yeah. and then after you finish the film you have to distribute it it's all the stuff yeah and when, when you were doing the course like what was through going through your mind in terms of like your aim for example when you studied were you thinking of perhaps you know going one day to directing feature films for cinemas etc what were you thinking of achieving at that time i mean that's the dream isn't it like yeah. i want to i do want to direct uh feature films and write feature films but also at the same time i know that the industry actually it's a lot more accepting to people like me like asian women now which is fucking great it's such a oh can i swear sorry yeah good it's a great time it's a great time to be an asian woman um in the film industry which is so inspiring inspiring and so amazing so i'm really happy that there are more opportunities for people like me right yeah okay. Has that yeah. progressed say, in the last few years where oh, yeah. previously, how so? Like, do you mind telling me some examples? Oh, it's, just, it's just progressed so much. Like it was like 10 years ago and then every, every couple of years someone comes out and breaks the mold. And yeah, like one example, Lulu Wang, she did The Farewell, uh, which is the story about like uh, American Chinese woman going back to China and then reconnecting have you no i've not seen it no i'm no. just curious yeah. okay <laughs> you should watch it anyway she's she's uh chinese american and she uh made that film and it came out and it uh got really rave reviews and i just love it as a film it's just everything that i want to hit in terms of drama and comedy right yeah and um you know oh what's her name Chloe Zhao. Okay. She's a Chinese filmmaker who recently she she from making like these small sort of indie flicks got signed on to Marvel and recently directed uh, The Eternals. Oh, sweet. Yeah, nice. and she's an incredible filmmaker and 
you know, there are so there are let alone just like women and then Asian women yeah, that yeah. I can look up to. It's yeah, definitely it's crazy. inspiration. Yeah, and you mentioned the comedy and drama. Are those the genres that you would lean towards? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I would also like in my head. One day I want to make a action film, maybe, but it would probably be like a action comedy film, right? Okay, because that's like I was big into such a horrible movie, but Rush Hour, yeah, and just like um, Spy recently on Netflix, yeah, I love action comedy films, but dramedy, I think that's. Where I'm gonna focus on at the moment, and then yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was speaking with a friend this week, and I asked a Vietnamese friend. I said, "What's your favorite film?" She said, "Rush Hour." I, was like, <laughs> well, I kind of was like, "It might be Rush Hour Three, actually." And I was like, "What?" I, I didn't expect it. It was just Rush one of those curveballs, and now that's the second time this week. God, someone's telling me to go and watch it. Rush Hour Two is like the worst one. No, Rush Hour Three is the worst one. Rush Hour Two is all right. Right, I'm it's sure she said good. Rush Hour Three. I will confirm with God. her after this interview. Yeah, uh, I watched Rush Hour 3 and it was excruciating. It was actually it was, really poor. It was painful because I was like, nope, this is, uh, what are you doing, Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan? Get back. Yeah. Stop it. It's over. It's, Brutal. It's trying to beat a dead horse. What is it? Yeah, beat um, a dead something. Flog a dead horse. Flog a dead yeah, horse. There we go. Yeah, yeah. That can happen. <laughs> and I guess on that note, this is like unrelated and it's way off script. What's the worst movie you've ever watched? Oh my gosh. I have a list. Shall I consult it? Yeah. Wow, there are so many movies. There's this other podcast I listen to that's called Films to Be Buried With. Ooh. You should watch you should listen to it. I have that with books. I've listened to one with so books, good. books to be buried with. Or similar. Mm, yeah. Really? There's a similar okay. one, yeah. Well, it's like uh Brett Goldstein and he's uh a writer, actor. He was in I don't know. Ted Lasso. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you watched it? Heard of it, but I've never watched it. 100% recommend. So many recommends. Worst movie I've ever watched. <coughs> recently. Oh, recently. Oh, what was that movie? That horrible Christmas movie. Oh, Lord. You know, I love a good Christmas, like a cheesy Christmas movie. I do. Hugely. Yeah, exactly. But now it's just Hallmark have taken it too yeah. fucking far. Mm. And I, it's just, these movies are stupid and pointless and they just, it's just a fucking waste of time. What was this movie? This wasn't a Hallmark movie. But it should have been because it was so dumb. Last Christmas. Oh, right. Okay. Oh my God. Did you watch it? No. I don't really watch new Christmas films, to be honest with you, because... I've, I'm, again, I love a Christmas movie, but I like, I'm like i a bit of a traditionalist. I like like your Elf, Home Alone, Christmas mm -hmm. Carols. They're all mm -hmm. brilliant, but I can't really get up to date with the 2019 onwards era of Netflix films. There are some out there, but yeah. you have to scour through a sea of shit. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, do, I don't I have the patience for it. Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather like speak to people who I trust their views and then point me in the direction. Okay, I'll give yeah. you a list. I'll nice. give you a list of good <laughs> modern recording, Christmas films. <laughs> we're recording this in April, but I will revisit this in eight months' time and be like, Annie, give me the list. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But I guess okay. moving on like a little bit more in terms of film, what happened after uni? As in, after you've got the degree, did you still pursue film or did you go in a different direction? Okay, this is, this is where we get deep. Boom. Because after uni, I, well, during uni, during my final film, I had a, literally had a mental breakdown. It was really harrowing. It was probably the worst time in my life. And 
it was a uh, it was a combination of family things and relationship things and just the stress of making a film um, all coming to a head and it was very yeah I it literally got to the point where I was having paranoid delusions and I was thinking that things were happening because I hadn't slept properly in 10 days I was literally thinking things that were happening that weren't happening and then someone sat me down and said hey you're you're having a panic attack and I was like whoa okay so um after after that uh my short film got into some small festivals in the US and I went traveling for a bit and um you know just the old I was like 22 21 22 when that all was over and done with so the classic, you know, find yourself in your 20s, you know, <laughs> around, yeah. um, searching for myself in many, uh, many different places, many different places, many different men. Let's just say that was a phase. Um, yeah. And it was really great. And now I'm 30 and I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. I'm in a good position. Yeah, no, I was actually having a chat again with a friend about this. I'm 24, so I'm hitting the mid-mark in August. Mm -hmm. And with that then, I'm going to think, ooh, is it, are the 20s better than the 30s? I've still got time to evaluate. But why do you think it's better? Or what, do you, first of all, think that the 30s will be better than the 20s? And if so, why? Well, don't get me wrong, I love my 20s. It was great. I had a lot of fun. I did a lot of things. Uh, not going to say them because maybe my dad might listen to this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a hell of a time trying to discover myself. But you're just so unsure of what you're doing. And like uh, after film school and all the stresses of that, I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And because I couldn't handle the stress, I was like, am I equipped to be a filmmaker? That sort of thing. And then I... Um, discovered this amazing uh, man called Thich Nhat Hanh, and he is a Buddhist monk he passed away recently yeah yeah and he um, changed my life I picked up a book off the shelf and uh, yeah uh, went to a mindfulness retreat in France all the stars sort of aligned and I got through a lot of um, I don't know if I can call it trauma but I will say it's trauma. Yeah, I'll right. say I got through a lot of trauma that I went through when I was younger. Yeah, okay. It was a very turbulent time, my 20s. And learning all that and developing from all of that, um, the my 30s are a really good time to just, you know, do what I want to do. Mm, I see what you mean, yeah. And I feel like we do need those 20s, shall we say, to yeah. really grasp the trauma and what is happening to us. And I don't want to dwell too much on it because I can imagine it would have been tricky in many regards. But do you mind telling me a bit about like what the rock bottom was and how you came back? Were you coming back with that monk you referenced whose name escapes me? Was that the catalyst for your comeback? Yeah, well, it was, um, it took several years because rock bottom was probably my film uh, making my film and then a couple of months later my ex breaking up with me uh, because he didn't tell me till later because he cheated on me and then at the same time my father also cheating on my mother and seeing these parallels in my life and 
and um, yeah, it was a really stressful time and I got through, I didn't know why I was so angry when I was younger. I didn't know why I could be so sad. Uh, I call it like rocket mode Annie. Like the Annie that you see now is like a happy, cheerful, uh, sort of vivacious Annie. That was me in front of other people. Right. But not in front of other people. I would sometimes go into a really dark place. Yeah. So um, after that, it, it was just like a series of events. Like I were, was not connecting with the right people, uh, uh, men. Uh, <laughs> had to wade through a river of shit uh, and then eventually found my partner and then we went on this sort of path to traveling together and he was, and then staying with his family. Whole life-changing experience because it was such a, such an experience staying with him and his family because they taught me how to be like, you know, this whole idea that you have of a nuclear family, like that doesn't exist. Everyone has their own problems. And they were a family that, you know, they weren't perfect, but they worked through their problems um, in a really healthy way. They would communicate and talk to each other and they wouldn't, they would, always be the bigger person you know and that was a really nice environment for me to be around yeah. and then it was when I was sat on the rug of um, that house in West Bridgeton West, West Bridgeford um, in, in Nottingham and I was looking up at the bookshelf and I saw the Thich Nhat Hanh book and I picked it up and yeah that's when like yeah the comeback yeah. came. Yeah, exactly. The comeback. Me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to like put the puns in, you know what I mean? But I guess it works. No. You know what I mean? It's yeah. great. It's literally yeah. like the perfect catalyst. Yeah. <laughs> it's Boom. so good. I'm glad. So tell me about the comeback then. So you pick up the book by, and I need to actually get this name. What's what's the man's Tignat name? Tignat Hang. Tignat Hang. Boom. Yeah. Excellent. So Tignat Hang, you pick up his book, you read it. What happens then? Uh, I realise all of these things uh, in my life, uh, mainly... You know, he, he's a firm believer of how you are your parents. You are basically everything, if you're raised by them especially, everything that you do is like from your parents and also your blood, everything in your body, like all your bones comes from your parents. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about generational trauma because both of my parents um, were came from Vietnam, you of know, course, yes. which is... Uh, they grew up in the midst of a war so of course there was a lot of trauma there um and you know yeah what was the question <laughs> the question was what happened when you read the book so it yes. helped you realize these sorts of things exactly yeah. exactly and um after realizing all of this stuff because when you're younger you don't really want to be like your parents you know you want to be separate from them and then i think as you get older you start to realize oh wow i'm like literally my mother's daughter my father's mm. daughter like you start seeing all these parallels yeah yeah so um i started seeing that and then realizing that because i was in a position where i could be the bigger person and just open up a dialogue with them and be patient with them because as a teenager you don't want to listen really to your parents and what they have to say so yeah um, I sorted out a lot of stuff 
through that and also like you know at the end of the book there's a little thing called uh there's a little blurb where um it says Thich Nhat Hanh pra- practices uh at his monastery in France Plum Village and I was in England at the time so uh, my partner's mum was just like you should just go why don't you go and I was like oh yeah yeah I should go and it was my first time at a mindfulness retreat and it was beautiful it was amazing I met so many incredible people and just the environment there so lovely and amazing yeah really helped me what interests me here though is that the mindfulness retreat itself i've never been on one but i can imagine the benefits but then transferring that back into the daily life you know and there's the noise the chaos especially it depends where you are but saigon is a very good example of the noise shall we say how do you transfer perhaps that feeling of tranquility when you're in a peaceful environment to the day-to-day life Mm. that we all live in well it's recommended that you do a top up every like few months or so, uh, okay. but I haven't done that in a while. Like it's good to just go back um, and just spend some time there. But yeah, in this environment, um, he, Tignan Hang, uh, he recommends that you start with one mindfulness day per week and set aside one day per week where you uh, don't touch your phone or you don't do work uh, all you do is like from the get-go you wake up you focus on your breathing and everything that you do throughout the day um, brings your awareness to to what you're doing mm-hmm. so you can do things like chores around the house as long as you are aware of what yeah, you're doing sure. and also getting like joy from doing those things um, which was really nice about Plum Village you get these moments where you like um can't remember what they're called they're called something ahs it's like a it's a sanskrit word but uh they're sort of these small sayings that you repeat to yourself as you do menial tasks such as wash the dishes no not them it's like it's like a sanskrit word right okay so um you'll uh be washing the dishes and then while you wash the dishes you say uh washing the dishes i bathe the baby buddha so you're sort of um washing them mindfully and it's really nice and puts a smile on your face which is good i feel like you have to be very vigilant for this though oh yeah yeah. i've definitely fell out (laughs) like i'm i but i try to meditate every day um because i also do yoga i'm a yoga teacher so um i practice yoga and then after I do yoga I try to do a meditation every day. How long would you say you do it for or does it really depend? Well at the moment it's at five minutes Uh, I know I should do it for longer but yeah I you know what no pressure you know none of this you should be doing this you should be doing that it's uh it's a practice it so. is yeah i feel like you can't force it either whereas mm. if you sit there and go i must keep still i must meditate it does not work yeah, no. yeah. it's the whole 100%. purpose is to literally just surrender mm-hmm. almost to it and um, do you have almost a i guess a spiritual perspective like are there any kind of spiritual guides that you look to for some kind of inspiration when you're going through difficult patches oh Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> <laughs> um, spiritually, mm, well, I would say I was raised uh, as a Catholic and I was pretty devout to that till I was 19, going to church every Sunday. Wow. Yeah. And now 
Um, I think as I've gotten older, after film school, I sort of realized that I'm more aligned with Buddhism, um, more about finding the God within than the God, a physical God in the sky <laughs> looking down on you. But yeah, um, I still have moments where Christianity, because innately Christianity was trying to do good before people came along and fucked it up, you know. <laughs> um, and there are so many good values that I learned when I was younger um, that I still sort of keep in mind now, like treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm. It's a huge one that I learned from Christianity. So I guess I could look at also Jesus sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus and the Dalai Lama both. <laughs> And this is kind of linked to the value system, and it's going to be quite a broad question. Like nowadays, and this can apply to, I guess, any area of your life. You know, perhaps your your practices, your teaching, whether this be yoga or English, your work, your creativity. Are there any main values or principles that you bring and apply in all areas of your life? Oh, this is a tough question that I need to think about. What would you say for you? Well, just I so that. I can get some <laughs> just so I can get some inspiration. When the guest like, does that I wince, I think, oh, I'm getting the Connor treatment. Fuck. <laughs> for me. I'm not sure how to answer. Sure, yeah, no worries. Uh, damn, I don't wasn't it? That's a gotcha. Damn. <laughs> it's hard. Damn. I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you mine. And I have um it's not quite defined, but it's generally what's coming to mind and what I've been thinking about for the last few months, so I am able to say it. It is to learn. I have to make sure I'm always learning and not resting on my laurels. Whether this be doing my podcasts or doing my reading or any other projects I'm working on, I have to realize that I'm still in a process of learning and developing myself. I've never cracked it. I've never made it. I used to think you would crack meditation, you would crack reading, you would crack mental health. I genuinely thought there'd be a moment where suddenly there's the pot of gold. I, I don't know why. And then I realized after a while, no, it's just a forever practice. Same with the gym and whatnot. So to learn would be one. I think to be creative as well. I feel like I always have to enjoy the creative process in what I do. Even if it is washing the dishes in a really weird, unorthodox way, I feel like if you make that creative, then that is fine. And I always have to do something that aligns with, I guess, my creative mission. Whether that be podcasting or writing or doing anything else, I have to make sure that comes in because otherwise I get restless. I get frustrated, agitated, and can turn that energy inwards. And I think the other one is to, and this is gonna sound really cheesy, but to love. And I don't mean that in terms of like romantic. I don't mean it even in terms of real real affection. I think just like a deep underlying subconscious appreciation for anything. And I can love, for example, the chair that I'm sat on because otherwise I'd be struggling on a floor or I can love <laughs> <laughs> the meal that I eat because it's beautiful. It's almost like gratitude as well. I feel like the two can be interlinked, gratitude and love. Just, I think a solid appreciation and I can't think of a better word than love, a deep, genuine, meaningful, connection with whatever this thing is, whether it be a meal, a chair, a person, whatever it is, to generally love, if I can bring that emotion into it, then I'd probably say I'm doing well. So to learn to be creative and to love are probably aligned with my value good. Oh my God, did you prepare that speech no. at home? <laughs> no, but that's I, but, amazing. No, I've been thinking about it previously. Yeah, so, yeah, that's great. Yeah, wow. That's, I mean, you've summed it up for me, really. A uh, huge thing for, that I learned from my dad is that you never stop learning 
and even in his old age he's always still studying and he's always trying to like listen to something new because he knows that he doesn't know everything which is so nice to see in an older person because they're always you know lecturing the you about stuff um <laughs> which he does do but he also knows that uh he he also respects that he doesn't know everything and he's constantly learning and i'm inspired by that definitely in the things that i undertake and also um yeah i think things that spark joy and love right exactly yeah, yeah. joy yeah. is a good word i think joy is a very good word yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah just that moment of i guess yeah that's probably the word i was looking for there was one that i was dancing around i was like what word for love and i kept saying appreciation <laughs> but i would say joy i'd say mm. joy definitely just something that literally simply brings you that moment of happiness or that moment of appreciation where you think yeah this is great yeah i'd say joy is definitely a decent one to do that and that's kind of touching upon a value system one thing that i also do believe in say synchronicities and what has hit me there is you were in Nottingham, England, mm-hmm. when you saw the book by, remind me of his name. Take Nian Hang. Take Nian Hang, mm-hmm. Vietnamese monk. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, there's something that you think, ooh, Vietnam, that's my background. And you obviously did come here later on. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that, why you decided to come back to Vietnam? Mm, okay, so when I went to Plum Village, I reconnected with a lot of Vietnamese people. And then we ended up, uh, well, we were already on the path because prior to that, um, me and my partner were living in. Shout out to Kerry if he listens to this. That's my partner. He, um, we were living in a van for six months uh, as vagrants. It was great. It was fantastic. And then he was sort of. He's the one that takes initiative in our relationship. So he was thinking of the next step. And he was saying, oh, you know, I want to, I've always wanted to be an English teacher in in Korea or wherever, like South Korea. And we, we, we were doing our research and then he was saying, I think we should go to Vietnam. And I was like, I had this idea where I was like, I've already done Vietnam. Like, I don't need to do it anymore. There's nothing for me to find out about Vietnam because I've traveled here several times with my family. Um, But then reconnecting with people later when I was in Europe, uh, like Vietnamese uh, Germans and also just Vietnamese people at the, like the monks and the sisters at the monastery. um, That was sort of like awakening a little something in me and then um, I came to Vietnam and I was on my own because he had to uh, teach in Europe for a bit and I was here like on a month on my own and it yeah like everything sort of aligned into one place and I was like holy shit like 100% this is where I need to be where why did I think I needed to go anywhere else in the world but literally this is the place that I need to be like right now and that's sort of what inspired the short film that I'm hopefully going to make um, in a couple of months. Nice, <laughs> nice. And how long have you lived here, sorry, Vietnam? How long oh, have you been back? So I lived in Hanoi from 2017. And then we left to Europe 2019 at the beginning and then came back to live in Saigon at the end of 2019. So right, roughly cool. like five years yeah like kind of slightly on and off but still yeah no that Mm -hmm. that does count as the five years why Hanoi to Saigon like why did you make that move 
Um, because we were returning to Vietnam when it was winter, uh, so yes. it was December, and we thought we would just be in Vietnam for a couple of months before we would move on to Japan. Uh, but of course, COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about being stuck in Vietnam throughout COVID? I say stuck. Like I feel like it was a blessing. I was talking with friends yesterday. Like of all the places in the world to be stuck. And we did have those four months in the summer, which were brutal. But mm-hmm. aside from that, we've had it very lucky. So, oh yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Like my my friend JK, you probably yes, did yes. it. Yeah, he has a joke about it on oh, stage, yeah. like how fortunate we are to be stuck in Vietnam. Um, yeah, uh, while the rest of the world was burning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so lucky. And you know what? It's actually given me more time to work on this film, even though it's been delayed so many times. But there are so many things that I've gotten that have happened for me while I've been in Vietnam because when the first lockdown happened, uh, not last year, but the year before, like I hadn't taught yoga yet and I wasn't getting any classes from my company. So my friends were like, just teach us yoga. And that's how I started teaching yoga because I had my certification, but I was like, oh, I'm not good enough to be a yoga teacher. Just such a silly, uh, such a silly frame of mind. yeah. Yeah. Now, now that I'm looking back. Um, and then, you know, meeting up with music people and now I'm in a couple of bands and, and then also this film that's happening and this podcast that I want to happen that's not happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like so many things have aligned for me in Vietnam. So, I've, you know, I'm so happy. Yeah, that it's all come about. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And can you tell me a bit more about this film or would you rather keep it under wraps until it's released? Um, well... Um, I don't know what else should I what can I talk about Mm. it's I would just say it's basically a story about based on me coming back to Vietnam Um, yeah it's just a story based on my character and sort of her experiences with people in Saigon and how she sort of feels a little Um, disconnected from her actual family but she feels quite connected to the Saigonese and the people here which is definitely true for me right (laughs) I see a lot of my friends yeah yeah do you have like a grasp of the Vietnamese language oh yes yeah fluent uh I'm I'm like uh pre-intermediate to intermediate I'm taking Viet lessons at the moment I can communicate enough with Vietnamese people but I can't have the deeper conversations and there is just so much vocab there is an insane like as much as much vocab as there is in English for all the words that we have duh it's the same in another language yeah so it's um yeah so much vocab to learn (laughs) and I I'm pretty lazy as a VQ I do feel compelled to ask do you get on better with expats or Vietnamese would you say because obviously the Vietnamese if you don't have that vocab you can't perhaps get the deeper connection mm-hmm. but you know you are Vietnamese at heart so what which side do you think you don't have to pick sides that's the, that's the <laughs> wrong word to use that's the wrong word which who yeah. do I swing towards <laughs> <laughs> which area do you think you connect with more shall we say um I would say I connect most I connect with neither. I connect mostly <laughs> with my Viet QAnons. <laughs> right, I okay. Because we, it's uh, being like a, what is it, like a 
third culture kid I heard someone throw yeah, that I've around some podcasts or something on that, yeah. like that third culture kids or um I don't know just not you're growing up in a culture that's basically not your own and sort of being alien to that and then us all coming back to Vietnam and then growing up in uh, and then like experiencing the culture that we sort of are supposed to know and then sort of feeling alien to that sure, you know it's very yeah. it's very much like you don't belong in either world but you are part of both and you have a seat at the table with both it's um it's it's really cool i think i think i'm really lucky yeah yeah i know you, i know what you're saying and i feel like that third culture kid mix everyone i've spoken to who has experience with that does feel somewhat conflicted and it can bring its own kind of mental challenges working out where you're from what this means for you working out i guess identity because when we're in our 20s that's often what we look at like who am i i know this eternal question and this can be quite tricky if you're immersed in a array of cultures because you can't quite put your finger on the answer if there is one is that something you also experienced yeah yeah um definitely more when i was younger but now it's just sort of like yeah it's cool i can i can be whatever and do whatever i want but definitely growing up, I wanted to, and a lot of my friends' experiences have paralleled to this, you want to sort of separate yourself from your Vietnamese culture and you want to be like Australian or American. You want to be the culture that you're in so you can be accepted. But yeah. you lose something in that. That's um, what you mean. You, you lose your identity and you sort of you rejecting that side of yourself is, you know, it's... Um, it's a little sad, you know, but I'm glad that I'm reconnecting with it now. Even though when I was younger, I wish I would have spoken more Vietnamese because right, I would sure. have been more this good now. Yeah, becoming used now, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Most of it, when I'm, I asked that question, I used to envy people from third culture kids, for example. I was born in, I was born in the Netherlands, right, but moved to England oh. when I was two, so then grew up in England my whole life. So, but it's weird, I have an Irish passport. So, ten technically you could class me as third culture but mm. I think I grew up in England so I class myself as solely English and I used to think imagine if I was say English and Australian or English and Vietnamese mm. like having the two mixes would be amazing it would be like something unique in the playground I guess mm. I, I used to just cling on to the being born in the Netherlands because it was like you know in primary school they say you're one interesting fact yeah. You know when someone says, tell me something interesting about yourself, mm-hmm. every, it's everyone's least favourite question. Yeah. And I was like, right, well, I was born in Holland and I used it every single time mm. for everything. So that's why I kind of envy you to a point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I I get that envy. But at the same time, uh, it's nice to go... Uh, around in life being a white male and getting all the fun privileges that go with that <laughs> yeah i can't complain too much can i yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah my next question might be quite deep as well uh if we can go back to say 21 22 year old annie who was going through the challenges for example perhaps paranoia delusions lack of identity poor self-worth etc 30 year old annie now if you could pick up the phone and call that 22 year old version what would you say I don't know. I think I always knew what I was going to do was going to be right. And I I would just say, hey, hey, man, trust yourself, you know, because you're you're going to find it someday. It's whatever you're looking for and just trust what you're doing and trust. Yeah. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Excellent. Short, profound, (laughs) simple, perfect. Before I ask you about your future aims, uh, one thing have I that I've started doing with guests, and I'm going to ask you: Mm -hmm. Have I not asked you a question that you wanted me to ask? 
Um, I don't know. You've asked a lot of good questions, and they're good. I, I don't like know. For some about the band, I need to. I need to promote my bands. Uh. Well, that's good because we're coming to the future. So, what else are you up to? What would you like to achieve going forward with your band and your podcast? Ah. Thank you, thank you for tying that in. Um, so, cheeky little plug at the end. Uh, I am performing on Saturday, just me and my guitar, slash my friend's guitar. Um, and uh, we were supposed to be playing our show, uh, well, bo with both of the bands. We're supposed to be playing shows around town. So just keep a lookout for Pop Fear. We're probably gonna change the name and um, we haven't decided on the other band name, but we do cover songs and stuff, so you guys will probably see us at Brick and Barrel or something. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's the Eat whole, like, chicken wings. I guess, what's the thing, like, e not ethos, like, I mean, can it sound really formal, but, like, why did it all begin? Did you just fancy a jam and get a few heads together? I mean, yeah, it was all very organic. Uh, Gavin, who was uh, front man of Open Air Drug Market, um, pretty cool band that's happening in Saigon uh, we saw each other at this gig uh, we just like talked to each other basically and uh, he messaged me out of the blue a couple like probably a year later or something just saying hey like your vibe let's jam and stuff I've got this project going and then we just sort of met up and and he didn't even know if I could sing, and, <laughs> and <you> could. <laughs> thankfully I could sing. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, that's how that band happened. We just like played music together, and he he's uh, he's smart because he goes more for the vibe of people than their mm. musical abilities. He he won't sort of a like post on a creative group like oh. Uh, I need a pianist. Like he, he just needs to meet someone yeah, yeah. and just be like, okay, this person is the right good. fit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I like that approach definitely. Mm -hmm. And your podcast, you are joining yes. the, the podcasting game, which yes. is evolving. Yeah. Yes. Also, I have the other band was an event that we did, so now we're doing cover songs. But moving on from that, um, podcasting was because I was so frustrated that this film wasn't happening uh, because of. Uh, lockdowns and lockdowns and lockdowns and then um, I decided that I was like okay and I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time um, that were really amazing and inspiring and I was like I want to do this because um, some of these podcasts that you listen to uh, can be like cinema for your ears you know mm. and that's that's the sort of filmmaking uh, I'm inspired by so I, I'm very interested in stories and when you listen to a good podcast episode you know the narrative ones it, it's sort of like it takes you on a whole journey and it's akin to like a journey that you can go on with a film you know um, like this American life uh, what else was it radio lab mm. um, invisibilia podcasts like that really sort of I was listening to a lot of them at the time and I was like oh I want to do this but with um a towel like a narrative um about people that I know and one of the episodes is going to be about my dad and his journey from fighting in 
from like having to move from the north to the south and then fighting in the Vietnam War and then being an immigrant in Australia, being a boat person. Yeah, because he's got such an interesting story. And when I tell people about it, they're like, wow, that's crazy that your dad has been through all of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's happening going forward. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Yeah. So that's one of the episodes. And then another episode, I'm probably going to interview JK and another episode I'm going to, yeah. Excellent, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole host of people here in Saigon. Just oh, yes, so many. There. Yeah, get out there and be like, what? Go around that's in bars. Go, if you can go up to people at parties and go, hey, you should come on my podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I approached you. You did, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Like, I yeah. was like, hey, you do a podcast. You should interview me because I'm so interesting. And I don't know if you like, said it like half joking. I'm like, I don't know if she's serious, but I will. Yeah. I was a little drunk. I Were was you? a little drunk. Yeah, yeah. But also you must have thought like, oh, this girl's super egotistical. Let's just have her on the podcast. I will fun. take. I will take <laughs> whatever guess I can get. Yes. Um, you got any final thoughts, Annie? Before we wrap up, I'll leave. I guess the final mm. the outro. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's it. Let's have lunch. Boom. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Thanks so much. <laughs>